0: M1 is the finance super app that puts you in control of your wealth. Invest, borrow, save, and spend your money how you want with sophisticated automation tools to help you reach your financial goals more easily. 2021 is about rebuilding, building health, building wealth, and everything in between. I've been using M1 for years to manage my long-term investment portfolio. M1 lets me follow some of the top-performing hedge funds like Code 2 and balance my pie based on what the pros are doing. It's truly my favorite investing app in the world. Go to m1finance.com slash to get started today and earn $30 to invest after you fund your account. Terms and conditions apply. M1, yours to build. Welcome to Technori Podcast. I'm Scott Katoon. On today's show, we catch up with the one and only Sahil Lavangia. You probably know him from Gum Road, among many other things. He's got a fund. He has a brand new book that just came out, The Minimalist Entrepreneur. Honestly, I don't even know what to say. I like. If there was ever a book that was built for me, it's this one. Everything about my life is about compartmentalization, keeping things at the simplest form. Sahil defines that. He's been something of a legend on Twitter in the last few years. And Gumroad, uh, where I really got introduced to Gumroad, is on Republic. Obviously, if you listen to the show, you know that we write pitch reviews at pitchreviews.com. And a vast majority of the companies are raising funds via equity crowdfunding on Republic. Sahil raised around on Republic for Gum Road, which is a creator economy platform or a platform for creators to monetize their skills. And I believe he raised what 5 million and change on there in a matter of 12 hours or or even less than that. It was the fastest, biggest raise at the time. It was right after the jobs act had been amended by the SEC, allowing you to raise up to 5 million on it. What we talked about in addition to many other things about entrepreneurship is just the changing landscape of funding. the the concept of rolling funds, which he has one. Uh, the concept of everyone being able to invest, whether you're a creditor or not, and just sort of being like, listen, there are tiers. You can you can go to a tier one VC and, and raise your Series A, B, and C, but maybe friends and family is now done through equity crowdfunding, or maybe it's done through a, a series of angels that are either your traditional angel or it's rolling funds like Sahil, which is mostly founders and operators. Personally. I get involved in this because I think it's really important that any founder building something is surrounded by operators, surrounded by people like them that understand the pressures of the early build rather than the pressures of return. And it's not to say that the early funds and the rolling funds aren't expecting a return. They are. They're expecting huge returns. That's why they make the investment at such an early stage, the risk. But they understand the challenge that you are up against. I think they understand it better than traditional like rich assholes, as I call it, in the angel side or uh, the venture side. I think they just understand it better. And I, I think the, the other area is the equity crowdfunding piece, which obviously, as I said, they did in Republic. I think it makes for investors who are more supportive in the right way, getting you customers, getting you feedback, not calling you and, and correcting how you handled your investor update and board, all stuff that's important, but you'll learn it over time. Sahil is one of those people who does everything in public. He's a build in public person. And I just think it's really fascinating because he is sort of the model of the, the new entrepreneur. And he's obviously had a ton of success and has bet on himself again and again. But I think when you listen to this podcast, the one thing that will stand out, maybe above everything else, is just how alike he is with you. Like you're in your mind, you're, you're, you're gearing up for this, this big successful entrepreneur You're thinking, okay, he's gonna blow me away with stuff that I don't know. He didn't. He blew me away with just his confidence, his understanding of things, his experience, uh, his conviction, his how sure he was in what he was doing, even when he would admit that he's not sure, but he's he's sure he's making the right decision in the right time with the information he has. You will be blown away, I think, knowing that the difference between the guys that do really well and the guys that don't do really well is a lot of times the clutter, the decisions, the way that they handle decision-making. It's being quick, decisive, no regret, move forward one step at a time and keep all of the shit and the overspending and all that stuff to the wayside and focus on the product and just get it out there quick and make iterations fast. That's the key to success. And I think Sahil absolutely exemplifies that. And if you don't follow him, it's SHL on Twitter. You definitely should. And you should also listen to this interview. Here's my interview with Sahil Lavangia. All right. Well, first off, thank you for coming on the show. Obviously. Uh, We talked about it right before the show. You had a campaign with Republic, which we've been a a big supporter. Personally, I've been an investor in Republic uh, dating back to the onset for them. And I think you have to have been the fastest campaign ever. Like, I don't know if they told you this or not, but it it has to have been. It
1: was, uh, yeah, probably up there, up there. I mean, the site did go down. So uh, I think
0: that's a good enough sign. Like it was 12, <laughs> you said 12 hours, which uh, I've yeah, covered hours,
1: $5 million, 7331 investors.
0: Insane. Like I, I covered, I've, I've done 500, 300 pitches from Republic. I mean, every company for the most part on Republic has come through here. And I mean, I remember the days with Ken, who's the CEO of Republic uh, flying companies out to my stage in Chicago for TechNori in 2016 Wow. And we would have six, 700 people in. And if you filled 80 to $120,000 in a campaign, that was like, holy shit moment. Mm-hmm. And the idea wow. that now we're at, you know, $5 million, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands and thousands of people investing is just crazy to me.
1: It's, it's awesome. And I think, you know, it's a testament to sort of you guys for getting in early and starting this thing, right? The only way we we've gotten to this point where we can raise 5 million bucks is because it took five years of, you know, these kind of tiny, kind of small, I wouldn't say tiny maybe, but, you know, small campaigns that have kind of built up over time as as people have built trust into the, into the system, because this is a very new, very weird thing. You know, people generally aren't used to investing in startups that is changing and quite fast, which I think is awesome for basically everybody, except maybe some traditional VCs. But it takes time, I think. It takes a lot of time for these kinds of changes to happen. And it takes people like you, like starting, you know, putting sort of real skin in the game, right? Uh, Making a bet on this movement really, 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 really early, like really as as soon as you could, frankly.
0: I I mean, honestly, it was before even the uh, JOBS Act went through. Yeah, there you go. We we were were sitting here like, this is a thing. And I, I remember talking to investors in 2014 and 15, and I honestly, like the it's a, the story's been told, so I won't go over it again, but like we were going to do equity crowdfunding direct through Technori at one point. And I talked to Ken and was just like, you're better suited to champion. Like, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Yeah. And I just knew it, but I, I remember talking to investors and saying like, this is going to come. And they were like, you know, if for, for those on Twitter, if you don't follow VC Brags, now's a good time to do so. This is perfect for them. They I, I literally got the, the pitch of like value add. Every single investor was like, well, you'll never add value like we do. And I was like, to the tunes of thousands of customers who get to invest in a company, like the, that is more value add than, than any intro because I can get any intro with sales. I don't, I don't need the intro after, after I'm doing a million in sales. Like that's not, yeah. not the problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, one of the important shifts... Uh, that has happened in the last sort of 10 years or so is that all the information you need to start scale run a startup is available for free on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Wise Combinator is probably kind of the best of the best and guess what? All their content, anything that they teach their bash companies is is on YouTube. Why? Because they need to build a reputation. They need to for, for more people to find them. And so I think that's like a really important shift here is, is, is maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, a VC was adding a lot of value because it wasn't easy to find other VCs to raise. It was the money
0: gatekeeper. From. Yeah. I mean, it was, was a, the gatekeeper. It was a
1: much more opaque kind of fog of war kind of industry, you know, pre-stripe pre-square, pre-angelist, you know, a lot of this stuff uh, didn't exist nowadays. And I, I I tell founders this all the time that like, you should ask for help from your VCs, but you know, it, like a lot of this stuff is out there for free uh, yeah. honestly. And, and it makes, it makes my life easier. And it honestly, it's just like, look, like I can raise money from 7,000 people. You could tell me, you know, VC that like, you're going to add more value than all these folks, but I've raised money, you know, and I can give you a list. I've raised money from Excel. I've raised money from Kleiner Perkins. I've raised money from Chris Saka first round. Like I've I've raised money from the best of the best, you know, from the Midas list or whatever heuristic. And like, I'll tell them straight up, like the value that they provide is, is pretty minimal. It's pretty minimal. Uh, I'm not saying they're absolutely useless, because I am a venture capitalist myself. And I, I do believe that there is value that I offer, hopefully. But it's not nearly as I mean, 7,000 people, I don't think people understand. That's a lot of people. <laughs> uh, you you know, it's its not easy to compete. Like, yeah, you could, you know, you might be the best person with a gun. But uh, 7,000 people, it's like, tough
0: to dodge. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and like, the, the thing here is, and this is a changing world, we'll get into this a little bit in the show. But the the ego and there's sort of an ignorance that was, and I understand it, like you're sitting in an ivory tower, you've got all the money, all the deals come through you. Uh it, It's that way everywhere, but Chicago was kind of that way. It's like a network that you have to crack. Yeah. And I, I just remember sitting there thinking like, the, who do you think are these these 7,000 people? Like who, who are the million people who invest in Republic? Like who do you think they are? Do you think they're just like random people that just like float around earth? Because I, I know-
1: I There's wish. Hun- frankly, yeah, I know frankly.
0: hundreds of them who are very active, very prominent investors in a million things. Just startups isn't one of them. And even that it is. And they just use this for small stuff. But like these people are incredibly influential in their in their ways. And some of them, whether influence is about money and power, or it's about just like telling their friends, like it doesn't really matter yeah. where. Well- you know, one one
1: thing that's funny is that a lot of VCs like they have the same value add pitch, right? So sometimes, even if I if even if the VC makes a really compelling pitch, I say, look, like you're an, you're awesome. And by the way, even in this crowdfunding round, I had Naval and Jason, yep. Friedman, and I had some of these kind of insider type folks to kind of anchor the price and, and help people kind of you know with their sort of kind of their own due diligence and make it more compelling generally for for folks. But I only need one, right? Yeah. Like, I don't need fifteen people who are all going to say, hey, I can help you you know, raise a series A, you know, or like these, these, these things that VCs often say, like I can connect you with engineers, whatever. Like I, I actually would prefer all sorts of different types of folks from all different types of industries. And I want engineers and designers and PMs and founders and CEOs and VCs. And I want everybody. Um, and again, like this is not exclusive, right? I'm not saying no to venture capitalists, right? right. You can still invest, right? Not, I think
0: that that's a big part I, though. Cause I, I think in the early uh, origin of crowdfunding, there was very much like a them or them. Like it was, you couldn't, like VCs for the most part were not super cool on the idea of like the first funding came from this. And if you came to them and said, you know, we raised on a value cap of 5 million or 10 million, and they're like, says who? Like, don't care. And, you know, now to your point, like a lot of these campaigns are run as a side saddle to a larger, uh, larger formal traditional round. And I think one of the one of the things that sort of gets left out here is the customer is big of a person as you want on your cap table as anyone, as well as your employees, many of which your future employees are, are potentially fundraising in Gumroad this way, or I should say investing in Gumroad this way. And when you get to like Series B and Series C, yes, of course, a traditional investor is going to be very helpful there because you're going to start asking for sums of money that are well outpacing what you could expect or legally even get from crowdfunding. But the, the sum of these parts is that it, it's all kind of a piece at a time. Like the, it's all plays a part in the larger game. And I think that's where this is really interesting to me because it, it evolves uh, in a large extent involves it uh, into where the creator economy itself is today, where gum road is like a lot of this is like the early seeding of where you are now.
1: That's what I'd like to think. And I think one of the reasons we did have a, a successful crowdfunding campaign is because it just is very value aligned with, yeah sort of the product, also the way that I run the company. Like there were, I think it, you know, generally I was was trying to involve from Angelus about this um, and, you know, about rolling funds, I guess. And, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because he's like, you know, it's, it's interesting that everyone loves this idea of sort of democratization, but really we're just kind of making this better for rich people, right. Or, which is why they, they kind of almost underappreciated rolling funds as as a product because they thought it was like, who really is going to care about this kind of thing. Um, and, but I think it's the same with crowdfunding, right? Like I do believe it's going to kind of dominate the industry eventually. It'll be the kind of the de facto way that, that, that companies raise money from their communities, their customers. I really believe that. Um, but until we get there, like there will be these kind of examples that just happen to be the perfect fit. It is kind of annoying. There's still things that, you know, crowdfunding will need to improve, sort of the regulatory framework, et cetera. Like these things will improve over time. Um, and so, you know, there is some cost to doing it. And so, you, you know, you will have kind of like the Gumroad's or the Mercury's or like the companies that have a very clear sort of value aligned pitch to go this route. And Mercury, I think is a phenomenal example. They raised, they've raised money from like top VCs. They did YC, they're Andreessen Horowitz back, CO2 backed, like they're 100% top tier startup. Like no, you know, no one would really, would really deny that. Um, and they did a crowdfunding round, you know, I believe they raised $5 million from, yep. I think something like two or 3,000 of their customers, their business customers. Right. And that is in, I mean, like, I guarantee you that $5 million is going to add more value to the market cap of Mercury, whenever it is, a, you know, a public company or what have you, far more than, you know, than $5 million as a percentage of this $100 million that this VC gave, right? Like, the, just the math on the sort of value, sort of, I think, check size to helpfulness ratio, I guess people call it, is yes. just not, it's, you know, if you give me 100 bucks, I guarantee you, you can give me 100 bucks worth of value, uh, you know, for your investment, like, Immediately, right? One tweet is probably worth a hundred bucks of value. But if you invest five, ten, hundred million dollars, like these firms are investing, like your your pitch has to be a lot more compelling. And frankly, it's often not. It's 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 it comes down to you need this much much money, and I'm one of the few people who can give it to you. Yeah, uh, you know that that is how a lot of these negotiations go down. And and ultimately, as crowdfunding, you know, proves itself, and that and the limits go up, and more people get comfortable, and there are more people doing it, maybe Gumroad will be be able to raise fifty million dollars. You know, like why? Why not? Uh, and, and I think that will uh, will happen over, over time. And hopefully maybe Gumroad will be one of the companies that that actually does do it. So.
0: I, I think it will. And I, I really I mean, obviously have backed this concept for a long time because I think the evolution's not ending. Like essentially they just got their table stakes. Like the fact that it, it can be done is the table stakes to the future of like kind of what Gumroad does. And we're gonna get into that next year, is like what exactly you guys do, but it is the beginning crowdfunding pre-equity uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, et cetera, then enter equity crowdfunding, then enter the creator economy. All these things are just a, a long tail evolution of really smart people being able to figure out how to make this more useful for everyone. And it, yeah. you're heading into a world where, I mean, you're already seeing it now in the last year and change, whether you want to get into Robinhood or crypto or whatever, NFTs, everybody wants to be able to commoditize everything they do, whether it's their end product or their own skill. And I I think we're heading rapidly into a world where almost everything will be liquid. And the minute that it's on a blockchain, if you're into crypto and and blockchain, if you're just investing in it, like, cool, it's familiarizing, it's all good. But what you're really watching is the evolution of, like, the global economy and how people work right before your eyes. And I I think that's the long tail of this.
1: Yeah, I think the future is one in which anyone anywhere can invest in anything as much or as little as they want and uninvest sell their position as much or a little like just it's really simple which is like just people can do what they want and people want to be able to invest and own things and they and they, they deserve they feel like they should be able to do that and you're seeing this sort of the writing on the wall with crypto with nfts with GameStop. people are quite you know even with bitcoin and with occupy wall street and like this is a Sort of a long-standing trend right that like things have become more and more democratized ownership has become sort of more and more by the people for the people right the us before the you know you know before crowdfunding and you know like the uk was better than you know like you know, like it's it's kind of consistently gone better and better and but the, but the sort of you can just draw the line and and a good there's a great book on this called the sovereign individual and i'd, li- I'd like to think my upcoming book the minimalist entrepreneur has like similar vibes basically, like the future is clear, which is the average size of company is one. There's this like incredible amount of flexibility, liquidity, this idea of full time employment of offices of you're either working or you're not working. All of this stuff this sort of binary is being exploded because of software and the Internet and the sort of math and cryptography, like these these new tools and technologies that allow us to direct to kind of directly organize with each other. Instead of, you know, for example, like if I wanted to raise $5 million 10 years ago, I would have had to go to a VC and that VC only has $5 million to give me because they raised a hundred million dollars from a bunch of people. And, you know, and, and, and those people, like, there's just like a stack of, of people. And eventually, by the way, it does get to like the average American, right? Yeah, uh, It does get there, right? It's like four or five, six, 10 sort of layers of sort of, 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 you know, sort of degrees of separation in this world. It's like, I started a company, you want to invest in it. Now you can't you know, that's, we're just getting rid of all of that piping, right? Yeah. Which just doesn't really need to exist anymore. And it did, like, I think it's really important. I think some people, they're like, well, why, you know, there must be a reason. It's like, well, yeah, it made sense, like before venture capital, even before software, before the internet, like you needed to go to a city to raise money because you, I mean, that's you know, physical, you had to, I mean, so yeah. I think it's important to kind of reconsider, you know, for example, like Y Combinator uh, and angelist, right? Like, They basically had to, they kind of broke the law for a while. They kind of got, you know, the SEC was kind of like, okay, it seems like this hasn't gone crazy. We should probably formalize what you're doing, which is fundraising on the internet. Like you should be allowed to do that. And now it's possible, right? It's this kind of nice, I think, tug of war or sort of like flywheel of like the the sort of people need to do things that are interesting uh, and, you know, the technology has to kind of get better. And then the regulatory framework will kind of improve. And then that will enable even more technology and innovation. And hopefully that will show that that's good for the world. And the SEC will be, will be kind of more comfortable with even more, uh, you know, because frankly, a lot of technology innovation is bottlenecked by the SEC, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, by old laws, uh, you know, written in the 30s or whatever. Um, and it will change. It will 100% change. And it is changing. Uh, it's changing
0: faster in the last two years than it has in- yeah. The last it's
1: 50 it's it's changing quick, quickly and I think everyone knows sort of what the world looks like in 10 15 20 years I think which is scary to a lot of people but I think it doesn't matter if you think it's good or bad it's going to happen and so we need yep. to start thinking and I think that's broadly happening I think politics like I think everyone realizes this and I'm hopeful that people will kind of will help that transition versus try to stop it
0: I am as well I um I would say like I can't stand the VC term, the conviction thing. I get it. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm all about, you know, got to build a case and that whole thing. But I would say where I learned of the concept and it really became practical to me was when I got involved, uh, ironically, in equity crowdfunding. Like you would think being more on the professional side, I I came from a real estate investment REIT background. So you would think I would have learned this then, but I did not. It was in equity crowdfunding and really the existence of equity crowdfunding, if you will, is where I recognize inevitability when I invest in startups or anything really, I'm looking at the, the point of like, is this inevitable? It, it may be you or it may be somebody else, but it's going to exist. And to me, uh, kind of transitioning into Gumroad, I, I think I started to see in 2017 and then really 2018, this sort of obvious case that it is inevitable that we are going to be able to invest in everything, own everything, commoditize everything, trade everything, get in and out, as you said before, liquidity wise, Um, And that those people who have the skill sets that we're paying for, whether you are a music person for me, or you are a designer or a coder or whatever, a builder, if you are those things, creator as we call them now, if you are those things, you will have um, employability if you want it. You can go work for a company. You can get paid and work for them. You could also do for yourself and you could have a price that's affixed to that. And I think that has pivoted so hard a lot of it accelerated because of the pandemic and everyone being at home and kind of working three jobs at once if you want to it has propelled us into a place now where the idea of a gum road not existing is almost insane to me like in 5 years ago if you said to me here's gum road I've been like sure now now it's like if there's no gum road I'm completely baffled
1: yeah yeah no I think that's a really good framework uh, to think through is like yeah what what will exist Um, and then it's really just a question of like is this the one right is this the one that will fill that spot I think for example I built an app an iPhone app when I first learned iOS development in 2010 called Taxi Law and I was living in Singapore at the time and I built an app for iPhone that allowed you to call a cab uh, from your phone and this was pre-Uber I think um, or around the same time but you know I'm not even saying oh I deserve whatever right it doesn't matter I'm just saying look like Sort of, you know, Isaac Newton and the other dude like invented, you know, this, this kind of stuff at the same time. Wheat was discovered in China and like Thailand at the same time. Like it just sort of the, yeah, it, it kind of becomes clear to, to many people at the same time, generally, because we're all consuming the same stuff. We, we see the same science, the same technology, you know, we're all reading the same Twitter feeds, et cetera. So like you're, you kind of, this, this stuff becomes possible. And then it's like, yeah, it's, it becomes an inevitability, right? Like I, I really believe that cryptocurrency. Um, is inevitable, right? Yep. You can nuke civilizations and start it from scratch. And at some point in the future of that civilization, there will again be a cryptocurrency. Science is just technology. Um, you can't put it back in the box. You know, we got to learn, you know, to work with these things. And and uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I believe very strongly in that, in that thesis and um, around inevitability, I often, often use it.
0: So for the six people who will listen to this that do not know what Gumroad is, let's talk a little bit about what it is, and what it does. And I'm actually curious to learn more about the book in general, because I think obviously I would be a perfect reader for it, but I think there's probably going to be a lot of people out there who maybe wouldn't be thinking of it, but probably should be given where we're going.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, Gumroad sort of in a a sentence is is a tool that allows creators, digital content creators to sell their digital content directly to their audience, right? So on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you happen to build an audience, YouTube, there's, there's a lot of different places these days that sort of, central thesis behind it was you could sell stuff on the internet 10, 15 years ago, but you needed a website or a marketplace or all these sorts of things. And that made sense because before like you to enter the internet, like you needed a website, like it was kind of like the entry fee. Uh, Nowadays, you can start a Twitter account. You can like, I I know people with millions of followers that literally don't even have a website, right? Um, And that was my thinking. It was kind of the inevitability of that is that all these musicians, artists, designers, writers are gonna build their own audiences. They're actually gonna do that first. Uh, and then they're going to need to sell stuff and all these solutions need the website that they don't even have yet. And so I'm going to build a thing that just allows them to sell kind of direct to their audience directly on email, their blog, like no website really required. Uh, if they have one great, they can embed it there too. Uh, but, but primarily they're selling kind of directly on these social media platforms. And that was like kind of the, the sort of idea that I had 10 years ago. And then that's kind of the problem that government solves is we want to make it super easy for any creator to kind of turn their idea into income right? They have an idea, they want to write a book or do a podcast or a newsletter or whatever product they want to, they want to try. Um, we, we want to help them kind of experiment with that, find success, and then eventually, you know, stick with it and maybe quit their job or whatever kind of in the, in the longer term. Um, and, and it ties really nicely, I think, into The minimalist entre- Entrepreneur, which is, which is the book that I wrote, comes out October 26th, um, about like a kind of a central theme of the book is sort of build relationships before you build product, right? I think there are a lot of people who kind of build something and they're like, I don't know who to sell this to, or like, I don't know who would use this. And I think often the problem is, and again, this kind of was a requirement back in the day because you couldn't talk to people, but now you can, right? And so you can go build relationships, teach people, learn things, join communities, just like I did with Twitter and Hacker News and Indie hackers, like there are all these amazing places to kind of network and meet meet kind of like-minded people. And then once you have that, once you have an audience, once you have a community, it becomes so much easier to build a business because you already have the hardest part, which is the customers. The customers who trust you, want to, to kind of already give you money for things. Um, and so I use the kind of the, the the term in the in the book is is creator first, entrepreneur second. Whereas I think entrepreneurship is awesome, but building a business is, is kind of pretty daunting, right? Like even the word entrepreneur, I think, might evoke some imagery that people may not sort of personally relate to. And I love the word creator. You know, you see this in all these surveys, the youth all want to be YouTubers, et cetera. And I think that's great, not because I believe in the future everyone's going to be a YouTuber, but because it will train people to sell, to market, to build an audience, to provide value. And then actually the business becomes kind of easy. It's like yeah. it's something you just kind of add into, oh you yeah, you just have how a do game. I
0: monetize the network?
1: Exactly. And I I think that hopefully like my hope for the book is that it will show people that they don't have to think of themselves like entrepreneurs or business owners to, to start building a business. They actually already have, if they've already started to create content and add value and, and, and just think of themselves as a, as a, as a creator versus purely a kind of a consumer on the internet, they've already done, you know, a good chunk of the hard work required to make that transition. They just don't even know it. Um, so that's, that's kind of the hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was 100% inspired by Gumroad because I saw all these creators who would never identify as entrepreneurs, business owners, and they would be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year yep. selling yoga videos or painting tutorials or paint brushes for programs. Like this is all, by the way, digital and a beauty. An amazing thing is like, it's also $0 to get started, right? People assume that, oh, to build a business, it requires some money. You have to, you have to get like some real estate and like, you know, like there's, there's cost, physical cost. Now there isn't. You can start a Twitter account for free. You can build an audience for free. You can get emails for free. Uh, you can sell a product for free, or at least, you know, you're only going to get charged for every sale that you make. So you're never going to be out anything. And I think that's a pretty powerful idea that I think people haven't really grokked. A lot of people haven't really grokked is you can literally build a business from scratch on the internet with no gatekeepers, no VCs, no universities, none of that crap. Today, you can do it, you know, all you need, you do need some stuff, right? But if you're listening to this podcast, presumably you already have it, you have an internet connection, you have a laptop or phone. That's all you need. That's all you need. Um, there's a lot of things you might want, but that's all you
0: need. I totally agree with you. And I, you you hooked me on the title, like the minimalist entrepreneur is a person who kind of aspires to that. I have always felt, you know, you know, 500 plus pitches on stage, 500 plus pitches in the show on the radio or on this podcast or whatever, there's always been this evolution of those who I think did really well. Those who've had the best outcomes of all the guests. And and many of them are pretty big. I mean, like cameo, Stephen Galanis, like there's some big ones out there. The end game is the guys and girls that did the best long-term, at least up to this point are those that did not waste time and money and energy and effort and emotion on the stupid stuff that, by and large, should be something you consider once you've got 25 people and you're trying to think, like, do we want to be in person? Do we want to have all these tools? You don't need any of it. You just need the creativity and to have a vision and get some, like, build a network and see if they like it. And then, and they will like parts. They will not like all of it and just iterate and continue to do so.
1: Yeah. I think people, you know, it's kind of like you need to know, like, the territory before you step out your front door kind of thing, right? it's like, no, all you need, all you need to know is that there is something in front of you when you take your first step. And then you there's some, you know, like you don't have to sort of, and by the way, you, you can't because you have no clue, uh, what's really going to happen. Like I tried to plan my 2020, I was like, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be awesome and clear and it's nice, nice and stuff' Something stable.
0: get in the way of that in 2020.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I got a co-working space. I was like, I'm going to show up every day, you know, and then, uh, didn't happen. Ooh. Right. So, uh, yeah. It's, you never know. Uh, I think I, I always just go back to, there's a single word. I think there's one word that I would, I would like if people remember from this book, it's just start. It's literally just start. Um, yep. And, 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 and just a lot of people, they, 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 you know, they, they think that there's, there's one more thing, right. There's, they just need one more thing to get started. Uh, one more piece of data, one more customer they have to talk to one more little thing validation, um, you know, before they get started. But you know, the truth is you have everything you need to get started.
0: Usually it's fear. I mean, at the end of the day, there's like one more thing I want to do before my next iteration Correct. of the show. It's it's, it's always fear. fear. Like it's I, fear. 100%. I'm looking for a reason not to throw this out. Cause I, I know that there's going to be like, listen, I'll get a hundred people who will message me after this interview. And they'll be like, Oh my God, it's so great. There will be one or 10 who are like, you're an idiot. And like, no matter, no matter yeah. what, I'm going to get Twitter shit for it.
1: <laughs> and it's
0: like, it's your, fight, it's your
1: fight or flight, right? Your, your fight oh. or flight gets triggered and the vast majority of people fly. Like they, yeah. they say, never mind. I do the same thing, by the way, all sorts of other things, right? I'm like, oh, I don't want to go over a run this morning or go to the gym. Like whatever, right? Like everyone does that. But the, yeah, the truth is like you can, you can do it and you choose not to. And that's tough for many people to internalize, but I do think it's important.
0: One thing I, I am curious for you, you talked about how you started kind of Gumro the theory of it 10 years ago. Obviously, a lot has changed. I mean, I like to think that I was ahead of the curve in 2015 talking about equity crowdfunding. You got me beat by several years. Um, What was the evolution of the creator economy? Gumroad as a business, I think, is probably reflective of whatever your evolution, at least your theory of the evolution uh, in creator. What has it been like over the last 10 years to watch? Because I think, listen, I, I think it was going there anyway, but COVID, I think, really accelerated a lot of things we're doing or at least possibilities the idea of being able to raise 10 million dollars in a series a via zoom like if you'd asked yeah. me that at the end of 2019 i would have told you i'm going to spend a shit ton of money going to san francisco yeah and i've i've i have met half these people in person in my whole life so as you're looking at it like what's the evolution look like for you where you're watching going okay this is the beachhead and here's a couple of things that are going to happen along the way yeah so how did that go for you
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I noticed was one, you know, creators and their buyers, their customer base, their communities, et cetera, like we're not in the same geographic location, right? And often what I found were some of the most successful creators were, you know, let's say based in Thailand or Vietnam or Singapore. uh, And of course, you know, many people in the the US and and things as well, but they were selling primarily to customers in the US. And so I, I kind of thought about it like digital tourism, right? If you imagine like tourism, you have it's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing because people with sort of a high, you know, sort of whatever per capita income come to your place, they give you a bunch of money, and you, you know, it's kind of worth more uh, to you than it is to them. And that's awesome. Uh, and, you know, there's some maybe pros and cons to that, but, but I think generally it's great. You kind of allow money to flow into your community and, and it, it it's sort of like, you know, rises everybody up, right? Raises everybody up. Um, and I, I feel like the same thing kind of happened with the creator economy, where you have all these people who are living in places that are pretty affordable, kind of digital nomads or, or locals even, and they were able to sell to places like you know New York, San Francisco, L.A., like even even play, creators in the U.S. They're primarily selling. If you look at our GMV, a lot of it goes to you know Seattle, San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, New York. That's where a lot of the money is right now, right? I just love that. I love the the fact that anyone can be competing for these dollars, right? Um, and and therefore the best. Well, when I think another beachhead I saw is that sort of the people who do well do really, really, really well. There's kind of this sort of power law dynamic that is sort of exacerbated even further by the internet, right? I think I think people have have you know have not really internalized this yet, uh, sort of a, as a zeitgeist. But what generally happens is when you have everybody effectively competing on the same stage, you still have a first place, second place, third place, right? It's now you have first place, second place, third place globally instead of per city, and so all of a sudden, like. And that's better for consumers because it's like, wow, you get to learn math from the best math teacher, or you get to learn yoga from the best yoga teacher. And of course there are subsets of that, right? So it's not like one person will teach everybody sure. it or anything like that, but um, it does create this kind of crazy thing where the sort of the incentives um, are like incredibly aligned for like the top sort of few creators. But then there's, you know, one, one, one thing that you lose with this kind of one liquid free market is you, you lose kind of like the, the portfolio theory, right? You have like a VC, who invest in like 10 companies most die. And so you're allowed to take these risks, right? And this will get fixed by more people just having portfolios, but like what labels do, what publishers do is they kind of have one book, they have the Taylor Swift or the, or the, or the JK Rowling that kind of pays for all the, all the losses and it allows for all these other people who may not have been successful to, to take their own bets and their, their own attempts. And the creator economy sometimes gets rid of that, right? It's like, everyone's on their own. There's no bootstraps. Like, you know, everyone is kind of you know it's kind of a free market it's like pure capitalism right um but what that often means is 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 that there are a lot of people who just try and, and don't get anywhere and they, they never get the help that they may need um and so you know there's, there's it kind of cuts both ways i guess um and i always just tell creators look like it's it's up to you to succeed like it's up to you to learn the things you need to learn to sell to market to get better at your skills uh, to get in front of people um, and if you do those things, like you will make a living, uh, but it's not easy, right? It's yep. important to like, kind of specify sometimes like, just cause it's, it's easy to create a Twitter account. doesn't mean it's easy to make a living as a writer, right? Those yep. are two, three different things and we can make it as easy as possible. And certainly we will, but it's still hard, right? Like even the easiest is still hard. Right. Um,
0: I, I think yeah. I agree with you. I think, I think the, how successful you are, um, used to be the like the gauge. If you were successful in the past, we'd bet on you again in the future. Now, I think the gauge is how many people have access. I think what you solve for the most in all the things that you work on professionally, I mean I mean you, but like Gumroad in general, and also you as a, an investor and an entrepreneur, is creating access. We may yeah. not have the same number of people getting more successful than they would have been elsewhere, but there are more people who will get a shot at yeah. being able to do something. And I think that ultimately, same thing with crowdfunding, if you want to go full circle, like all yeah. These people who invest, like now everyone gets well, access to
1: Mark, Mark Andreessen. Like, he you know, he was like basically the first internet startup, right? Because basically, yeah. Netscape allowed people to use the internet, <laughs> so yeah. like, kind of hard to have an internet startup before Netscape. Um, but he had a re- you know, back in the day, like, there was a big debate. Because one, most people thought that, no, we shouldn't allow everyone to use the internet. Do you know what's going to happen to the internet if everyone gets access to the internet? No, only universities should have access to the internet.
0: We'll be selling digital artwork on the internet. That's what. <laughs> yeah. And says. by the
1: way, they're not exactly wrong. Yeah. Right? But yeah, I think he said, no, like we're going to give it to everybody. And, uh, and you can kind of see that through line all the way through software's eating the world and democratization. And like, it's sort of the same worldview. And I have a very similar one, which is, look, I don't get to choose or I don't believe I should get to choose who gets to win, who gets money, who, you know, I believe everyone should have a fair shot and, you know, we'll see what happens. That means everyone should be able to raise money. Everyone should be able to start a business. Like these, these things should not be predicated on, and yes, everyone should be able to sell digital art, right? Like it should not be predicated on a gallery owner or a museum curator, correct? Or a venture capitalist, or a university admissions counselor. Those institutions will still exist. People will still apply to them. They will still function. They will actually function better than ever because they will always be in demand. Uh, but you shouldn't need it, right? You should be able to learn any skill without a university, you should be able to raise money directly from people if you can without a VC. Um, it, these things should be possible. Um, and certainly, you shouldn't have to move physically, because most people cannot. Like, I think the, mo- the, the number one thing you can do is sort of to like increase diversity or, or whatever metric is, is let people meet you where they are right? Because most people are not where you want them to be or where you are specifically, right? (laughs) A lot of it comes down to that. Just like let people apply to your job without having four years of experience. Like, you know, it's just, and I really believe that broadly is like the best idea wins, the best person wins. Like literally you need zero experience to work at Gumroad. If you are, if you have the skills and I can value and vet the skills, literally, I don't care how much experience you have. You could be an eight-year-old kid, who cares? I mean, maybe legally, you know, we'll figure that out. Uh (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm philosophically that's what I believe, right?
0: Um, we are chasing the same dream. There's no question. Uh, I hope that you'll come back on when you guys raise a fifty million dollar crowdfunding <laughs> campaign for Gumroad. I would love to. I, I love all the work that you're doing. Could not appreciate it more. Uh, the people listening to this show, I think definitely need to check out Gumroad if they haven't already. And of course, on uh, by the time that they listen to this, it will be live. So go buy the book, The Middlemost Entrepreneur. I really recommend it. If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. Join the largest community of micro investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com.